Hey everyone, welcome to Just Mental Health with Steph and M, the podcast where we discuss mental health through a social justice lens. I'm Emily. And I'm Stephanie. A quick disclaimer before we get started, we are mental health professionals, but this is not to be taken as professional advice. We are also aware that our privilege may cloud our perspective on some topics, and we not only welcome, but encourage you to message us with criticism and correction. Let's get started. Our small business shout out is a friend of mine, Dr. Nadia Sadegi. She purchased her first foot and ankle clinic after completing surgical training. They provide a wide array of treatments for all your foot and ankle problems. State-of-the-art facility offering the latest conservative and surgical techniques for treatments. So let me open the link real quick. It's called Fox Valley Foot Specialist. Treat your feet. Heel pain, Achilles tendonitis, EPAT, uh, bunions. Oops. Oh, sorry. I clicked something. Uh, Swift for plantar warts. Uh, Oh, my God. Sorry. It keeps reloading for some reason. Um, uh, This is embarrassing. Okay. Um, So it's located. So podiatry in Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Um. Sorry, the, the the website keeps reloading. Okay, I think I shared the gist. Um, so you can. Um, oh, it also has a uh, handicap accessibility. There's a oh, that's good. That. Um, so if you like to contact them, you can do so on the website foxvalleyfootspecialist.com. Cool. Cool, cool. And so we have a uh, a really cool guest with us today to talk about a topic that um, is, uh, we'll go more into this, but so misunderstood um, and I think inappropriately used and talked about. Um, But we have someone here who is bit of an expert that is going to help us understand that. So we have Amanda Velez with us. She Woo! is <laughs> a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist in Kentucky and Indiana. She works with True North Counseling and she sees mostly young adult clients, um, late teens and early 20s, but she works with anyone. Um, she graduated from the Kent School of Social Work with an MSSW and MFT master's equivalent. So she was in graduate school with Emily and I. Wow. <laughs> That's why Emily's going, woo woo. <laughs> and she trained at the, Louis- the Louisville OCD Clinic post grad and became a specialist in OCD and related anxiety disorders. And if you didn't guess from that, that's what we're going to talk about is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So thank you so much, Amanda. Yay. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. Having the band back together. It's like a grad school reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, um, yeah, so OCD. One of the things we've talked about this kind of before on other episodes where we've talked about like... um, people using diagnoses as descriptors or like, as like character traits, like saying I'm, I'm so bipolar, um, or, Oh, oh I've got ADHD. Cause I just, I just like, I'm so random or people being like, I just like things to be clean. I'm so OCD or I like things to be even I'm so OCD. And it's like, <laughs> okay, stop. Can we stop doing this? And can yeah. we also stop self-diagnosing ourselves with this? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a complicated uh, mental illness and you can't just, because you have a quirky trait, automatically you have that irks me so much yeah (laughs) like even you just like saying those things just now I got such a reaction I find it so annoying when people do that oh yeah you know and for me especially becoming an OCD specialist and hearing people say well I'm so OCD it's like you have no idea like how how this is and what it's what it's like for people and how nuanced it can be You know, there's just so much beyond like, well, I like things even, I like to clean, I wash my hands, 
you know, like that's very much like the pop media portrayal, mm-hmm. but it goes so much deeper than that. And just the breadth of things that can become obsessions. Yes. It's just, it's, it's just one type. Right. And, yeah. and that is, I mean, anything I'm saying, you correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, like yeah, that absolutely. is like, there's, you know, that, that is a type of OCD, but it's also, it's often like, it's not just like a preference. It's like a, yeah. it's a compulsion, you know, it's not just yeah. like, Oh, I like things to be clean. And then there's also tons of other ways that OCD can manifest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So could we just to like clear up if you have been living under a rock and you have no idea what OCD is, um, kind of give it a, a quick definition explaining what it is and, and typically how it's diagnosed, if you don't mind. Yeah. So OCD obsessive compulsive disorder is an anxiety disorder where a person might be experiencing intrusive thoughts, uh, memories, they could be body sensations, it can be uh, urges or impulses. And the way that I distinguish an urge from an impulse and urges, I feel like I want to do this, or I feel like I'm going to do this. Impulses, I cannot stop myself from doing this. And so that's an important distinction too, when we're talking about OCD, because some of the manifestations, some of the, the subcategories of OCD we see like, okay, if this is an urge or an impulse, this could be putting you at risk or another person at risk. Um, and so that's part of how we screen for safety too, is like, okay, what are we looking at here? Um, so yeah, all of these things can kind of come together and form intrusive thoughts. And an intrusive thought is a thought that you are not generating of your own volition uh, can pop in. It can also actually be images. So intrusive images um, people sometimes experience And whatever that intrusion is, it starts causing emotional distress. So that emotional stress, distress then leads to the urge for compulsive behavior. And so that's where we get obsession, compulsion. The compulsion is a behavioral act or a thought or a reassurance seeking or an avoidance. Those are kind of the big categories of compulsions um, that are meant to... um, what's the word I'm looking for, alleviate the emotional distress that the intrusive thought created or the obsession created. So you have the intrusive thought, you have a discomforting emotional reaction, you then have the compulsive reaction. So behavior, thought, avoidance, reassurance. And so when you engage in a compulsion, then you get momentary relief. So that's where the reinforcement for the compulsions come from. Well, that helped me feel a little bit better. That must mean it's helping me. So the next time that thought comes, then the cycle repeats itself. Intrusive thought, emotional reactivity, compulsion, temporary relief. And that's why it keeps spinning. And that's why it often gets worse when left untreated because the compulsion doesn't satisfy in the same way that it did the first time. And so people often find themselves chasing that high essentially that emotional high of will that help me feel better well let me tweak it a little bit more and see if it makes me feel even better again and then you kind of see this decline into you know what can become extreme behaviors to satisfy OCD any questions yeah that That was um (laughs) yeah I mean so my reactions I mean that was a really a really good you know like description um so thanks to Amanda, um, I she assisted in me getting my OCD diagnosis. Um, like really, I'm really really grateful because um, I really like you really helped me out. Um, I mean, some of the things that you mentioned, like you know, like the physical sensations. Like I often get like something in my clothes is bothering me and I get the strong urge to adjust it. And if I don't adjust it, I can't think about anything else mm-hmm. or like, um, intrusive thoughts. Like since I got my cat diva, I like, am, and then like the lack of control of your, your own actions. Like mm-hmm. I'll picture myself, like I, I was doing like home workouts a lot during COVID and I, would picture myself like dropping a weight on her neck or something. And then I would like, like I was keeping the weights on, on the coffee table. And then I'm like, what if she 
is walking by the coffee table and the weight falls off. So then I like the, you know, I, ha- I had to move the weights to the floor. Um, yeah. Like things like that. Um, and I didn't even know that it was OCD until a year ago. Um, and I struggled with this for 16 years. I first started taking SSRIs, um, you know, a type of antidepressant for um, what they, you know, the professionals believed was generalized anxiety disorder. I first started taking that when I was 15 and then I was 31 when I got my actual diagnosis. And for 16 years, I was like, why am I not getting better? Or why am I only get like getting like a tiny bit better? Mm-hmm. Or why do I feel like I'm getting better? And then it goes back and it's because I wasn't getting treated for the right thing. Um, yeah. And generalized anxiety disorder. I mean, that's one of the most common misdiagnoses of OCD. Um, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, it's generalized anxiety. You're just an anxious person. And then you're not getting adequate treatment. You're not getting medications that are more helpful for OCD because there are certain SSRIs that are very helpful for OCD and there's some that really aren't, you know, and we know that especially with something like OCD, the best treatment modality is a combination of medication and therapy. And we have people who get better without medication because you learn to manage the behaviors you kind of take the gas out of the engine that is the OCD cycle by removing those compulsions. And so, you know, when I was at the OCD clinic and even now that I'm at True North, you know, I work with people who are able to go off their medications because, you know, they're able to function in a way that they don't need it. That's amazing. And, um, according to my psychiatrist, she, um, she says that the SSRIs that do help with OCD, you need a higher dose than you do with anxiety. And so a lot of people who are diagnosed with generalized anxiety go to the highest dose to treat anxiety and then it doesn't get better. And then they're like, oh, this medication must not be working for you when, when they really needed was a higher dose. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to touch on one thing that you said too, because I think this is so important. And I mentioned it kind of when I was talking about the OCD cycle and like subtypes of OCD harm thoughts. So you're talking about kind of having this image of something bad happening to your cat. You know, that's actually a really common manifestation of OCD. This idea of like, I'm going to unintentionally harm myself or others, or even I'm going to intentionally harm myself or others. That's one that pops up too. And it's one that doesn't get talked about very much because it is such a taboo thought. Um, and so again, when we talk about OCD, like pop media, it's handwashing, it's cleaning, it's organizing. But in reality, it's like, okay, I'm afraid if I don't set this thing in the exact right way, it's going to fall and hurt somebody. Or if I don't lock my door, and I don't check that it's locked however many times, then someone's going to break into my house and kill my whole family. And I will say that I do not whatsoever have contamination OC or like <laughs> orderliness. Stephanie knows my apartment is always a mess. <laughs> like maybe I get in like a tiny bit when I am cleaning, like if I'm like sweeping and then mm-hmm. I think I'm done sweeping and then I notice there's more dirt, like I'll like feel like I really need to get that, that dirt. But like- mm-hmm normally like I see dirt on the floor and I'm like oh, it's, good. it's disgusting <laughs> I don't know why I'm even sharing this but um but yeah, yeah the harm the harm thoughts like I get those thoughts when I'm driving mm-hmm. that's honestly one of the reasons I didn't bring a car to Chicago I mean you don't need one here but um it, it is more convenient sometimes um but I was like that'll help my at the time, what I thought was anxiety, Mm -hmm. which it is, you know, like you said, it's Mm -hmm. an anxiety disorder. disorder. Um, Yeah. To like remove one of the, the things that one of those harm thoughts and um, something I wanted to ask you about. So that you said were taboo topics. um, There's like sexual abuse OCD, right? And that's the thing that people don't want to talk about because they're like, I would never do that and the thought the reason the thought the thought that I might yeah do you want to do you mind talking about that yeah absolutely so I actually saw a lot of these cases when I was at the OCD clinic um so the big one is what we call POCD and that's pedophilia OCD 
And that's where a person experiences thoughts about harming children. But it's not pedophilia. It's not a sexual arousal. It's not a thing that they want to do. It's I can't stop thinking about what if I lose control and do this? Or what if I want to do this? And so you see people avoiding their own children, avoiding their career callings, avoiding having a family um, because they're afraid that they might harm children. Um, we also see in terms of like the taboo thoughts, bestiality, incest, um, other what a person might personally find like as a disgusting or immoral like sexual act, they might envision themselves performing that. Um, and that kind of really falls into that category of taboo thoughts. And because sexuality is so vulnerable and so um, like there's a lot of emotional reactivity and sexuality. That's a big reason why OCD sometimes what I would call latches on to it because of course you're gonna get a big emotional reaction out of something that you find absolutely immoral or disgusting. Right, right. So those, because the thoughts, and this is the thing like I hear clients will say sometimes is like, why, why, why do these thoughts have to be so disturbing? Like, why does it, why can't they be good thoughts? And I'm like, cause if they were good intrusive thoughts, you wouldn't be here. Like yeah. it wouldn't be a problem. It's yep. sort of like when people hear voices, they're never nice, encouraging voices. Cause then you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be here. They're always yeah. the mean voices, you know, yeah. but that's why it's a, an issue. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's causing emotional dysregulation. Mm -hmm. It's causing a disruption to your life and your functioning. You know, so it is yeah. like the most disturbing thoughts, images for you, because that's why it's the dis, you know, that's why it's a disorder and mm -hmm. people are afraid to talk about those thoughts because they're afraid of being judged or they're afraid that, you know, someone will think, oh, well, I actually want this or actually like this, or I'm actually going to yeah. do this. Mm -hmm. And so then a lot of times you don't get properly diagnosed because you're not talking about these thoughts. And it just mm -hmm. seems like, Oh, you're just, you're just anxious all the time. Why are yeah. you anxious all the time? I, you can't really pinpoint down a reason. Cause I don't want to tell you what's making yeah. them anxious. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, a really big safety concern too. Not, you know, not talking about if a person would act this out, but afraid of, well, if I disclose this, I'm going to be arrested or I'm going to be labeled a sex offender, oh, yeah. or I'm going right. to be taken away from my family or my kids will be taken away from me. Um, you know, so there's also that protective factor of it's not widely known. It's not talked about a lot. And people are afraid of what will happen if I, I say this in a therapy session, or if I say mm -hmm. this to somebody who doesn't get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because these are people that would never intentionally harm someone. Yeah. And then they're like, why am I having this thought about mm -hmm. something I would never do? In fact, they're so going out of their way and even putting themselves in harm to avoid yeah. doing it because that's how much they don't want to do it. So it's like, yeah, not only do I just not even want to, would I never do this, but I, I don't even want to think about doing this. So I'm going to do some ritual or compulsion to try to stop that. And yeah, so it's definitely not plot, just go. Yeah. Like you we are not your own. thoughts. You are not right. A thought is a thought mm -hmm. and an action is something else. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, sorry. I didn't mean, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was on it. Cause you mentioned the word ritual, Stephanie. And, um, that's something that's always confused me and why it didn't, Cross my mind for many years that I had OCD because I always thought because it's defined as ritual like ritualistic yeah yeah and I didn't like when I maybe I had the wrong idea of what a ritual is but when I always thought of a ritual I thought a ritual I thought like you have to like do something like like step-by-step -step action yeah and I don't yeah. have any of that and so that like, um, like almost made me angry. I'm like, I've been given the wrong definition of OCD all this time. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not always like the step-by-step -step ritualistic behavior for some people it is, you know? And I think that that's because rituals were so visible. I think that was kind of the first wave of people who started being seen when OCD kind of was beginning to be understood and treat it like a, a disorder. You know, I don't know the exact history of it, but that's kind of my inclination of 
why it was defined as ritualistic. But as we've studied OCD, as we've like built our knowledge base, you know, compulsions, I mentioned this earlier, it's the big four, it's overt behaviors, which might be like those visible rituals um, that might be like checking not locks, checking your stove, um, checking your own body if you're feeling sensations. Um, the thoughts, you can have thought compulsion. So some people have like an internal dialogue about, well, let me tell myself this, this, and that. Let me review my memories. Let me think about the times I was okay. And so you have this internal compulsion happening in your own thoughts. Um, you have avoidances, which is, I'm just not going to do things that trigger me. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to drive by a school. Let's say a person has POCD. I'm not going to you know, go see my nieces or nephews. I'm gonna just always stay away from people with kids or people that might I might find triggering. Um, I have people who used to avoid watching certain shows because oh, yeah. you know, like Law and Order, you know, there's so many a lot of that listed that I'm like me, yeah. me, me, me. Because <laughs> you when you did the scale, the the assessment, you actually I was actually rated as severe, you had said. Mm-hmm. And it's not funny. It actually is like a huge negative impact on my life. But like sometimes you just have to laugh about these things. Um, (laughs) But like when you said um, like thoughts can be the compulsion, that was the one of the things that I was really surprised by. Like my therapist talks about how rumination is the compulsion, like that back and forth. Like I'll have an interaction with someone and I'll like go like I'll like replay that interaction in my head and I'll be like was I acting awkward was I like yeah and so in that replay of the memory you're also checking you're checking yourself you're checking what you said how you're acting um was I touching my hair too much you know things like that you know and that's absolutely compulsive and then that leads to relationship OCD right like yeah. you doubt like people have I actually have that with my cat too I'm like do I actually love her because she annoys me a lot <laughs> and I'm like, like sometimes she'll just like want to cuddle with me and I'm like doing something or she'll like get on my computer when I'm typing and yeah. that's just um, being a cat owner like uh, that's right. but then I'm like most people are like my cat's just annoying me and that's you know whatever yeah. but like I start thinking like do I actually love her am I glad I got her or do, <laughs> do I regret getting her yeah and that's why like I question like all my friendship and then it's like that whole like asking for reassurance like are you mad at me are we okay yeah you know, like- yeah and that was the last one that I was about to get to is that reassurance seeking like getting that not validation because validation is a little bit different reassurance is like that do you like me? Do I bother you? Are we okay? Um, you know, do you still love me? People will seek reassurance from their family members of, you know, am I okay? Did I do something wrong? You know, and that's kind of that last piece too, is like that reassurance seeking. Mm -hmm. And I know I love my cat objectively. I love her so much. I know you love her too. That's. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. I'm not going to reassure you. (laughs) Oh, see, crap. See, I fall right into it. And I mean, it's like, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, and that's like that therapeutic experience. Like that Uh called me out, Emily. I'm sorry. That was a little bit like a reassurance. Like, yeah, I I don't want anybody to think I don't. Yep. Yep. (laughs) you are right and I did that beforehand too I was like I'm probably gonna talk about myself (laughs) let me know if I'm talking about myself too much and then there's also right there's also confessing because that's another thing I do like I if I think that I may have betrayed someone's trust even a teeny tiny bit and even if it's something that I know they wouldn't care about I will think about it all the time like like during when COVID was really bad my parents were like you know please be extra cautious don't do this and this thing before I went to visit them Mm -hmm. and I got within six feet of someone outside for like 30 seconds and I like couldn't stop thinking about it and I was like I need it I need to tell my mom I need to tell my mom what if she finds out she doesn't want me to come anymore and then and then I told my mom finally because I was thinking about it all day long I think I actually talked about it with Stephanie and then I was like 
And then I told her, and then I'm like, that was so selfish of me because now she's worried. Like it was almost, it was like, I was doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it for her, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, now she's having thoughts like, oh, what if Emily did get COVID? And like, I could have spared those thoughts because it was something that was a very low likelihood that I would get COVID. Like you're within six feet for 30 seconds outside. Like, yeah. Yeah. But then that it's that intrusive thought that it's just so anxiety provoking that, you know, especially at that point, I don't know where you were in your treatment process, but like, if you weren't very far in, or if you hadn't started, you didn't really have the tools to manage that emotional disruption. And so the compulsion was the only thing you had to try to, to get that alleviation. Right. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to point out something I heard you say there too, is that what if, like I tell everybody I work with, what if, like that what ifing is one of your biggest red flags that OCD is popping up because it's like that onslaught of what if questions and then the catastrophizing that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Why are you making that face? <laughs> Why are you making that face? Are you like, I do that too? <laughs> well, I was just like, oh crap. Like I do a lot of what ifs, but I think that's just me. <laughs> I think yeah. that's just, but you know, because it is so like, um, I mean, it's, a, it's an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And of course, that kind of contributes to the difficulty with the diagnosis. It's like, what what is me just being anxious, having a bad day with high anxiety, mm-hmm. not taking care of myself properly? And then like, what is, oh, could this be OCD? You know, but it's like, yeah. you'd have to look at everything. That's why you can't self-diagnose you need someone who knows what they're doing to do it because they can look at all of the different aspects and are you meeting criteria or do you just have really bad anxiety yeah you Um, know when I'm doing an intake and and reviewing a person's history like I'm looking at patterns across the lifespan mm -hmm. you know of like how long has a single thought persisted for you how disruptive is it how much is it getting in the way of your functioning how is it getting in the way of your functioning across different domains of life? So like school or work or social interactions or family interactions. So it's not just like something I had three, what if thoughts yesterday, I must have OCD. Right. Like, no, yeah. How long did that? What if persist? How much did it disrupt your day? How often is that happening in a typical week? Is it the same thought? Is it jumping around to different thoughts? You know, like one of the big distinguishing factors in diagnosing OCD is like, how disruptive is it? Mm-hmm. You know, we all have anxiety. Anxiety mm-hmm. is an evolutionary trait. It helps us survive. You know, we have to have it, but when it becomes an anxiety disorder, that's when we're looking at severe disruption. You know, I have what if thoughts too. We all have intrusive thoughts. So here's a fun fact. People with OCD and people without OCD have the same number of intrusive thoughts a day. Like all humans have intrusive thoughts. Interesting. Yeah. But knew that, but the same number is surprising to me. It's the same number. Because I thought it would be like, oh, you have more intrusive thoughts. But it's that the distress of it is higher. It's the distress. Uh, It's the, how do you get stuck on it? How long does it linger? That was a fun fact. I learned. Yeah. It blew my mind. Because I. (laughs) When I'm telling people, you know confiding in people in friends or whatever about my OCD I get so irritated when they're like oh that's normal I do that too like I was like I was um having my friend cut the tag out of my shirt Mm -hmm. because I knew that if I didn't I would not be able to stop noticing it and all day I would be thinking like what if the tag bothers me and it ruins my day but my friend was like oh that's normal everyone doesn't like the tag in the shirt and like but you wouldn't be stressing over it and you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be like I need to get the tag out of it now and you wouldn't be like all day long like oh my god I noticed the tag this is ruining my day like you might just be like this is a little bit annoying you know Mm -hmm. is that is that like what you're Is that what you're talking about? Yes, 100%. You know, and that I really love that you said that too. It's like this one thing can ruin my entire day. You know, it's almost like, like, like it steals your joy, you know, or the fear that this is going to ruin my entire day and it's going to just taint everything that comes up a lot in OCD too, of like that kind of forward thinking, like predicting the future. But again, it's the catastrophe too, of like, 
this thing that I'm worried about is gonna just ruin everything and it's gonna be bad. And if it's bad, then it, this is gonna happen. Or, you know, it just kind of like one small thing creates this domino effect that is day ruining, is life ruining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while I appreciate, I see what people are doing. They're trying to relate to me and normalize, but it's like so annoying because it just makes me yeah. feel like, no, you don't get it. You know, yeah, it can be invalidating. You don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. In some way they are saying like, it's normal and it is normal to have those thoughts, yeah. but that's yeah. where it ends for them. And for you, yeah. that's not where it ends. So yeah. they don't understand it doesn't just end with a thought. It doesn't just yeah. end with being like, yeah, that tag's annoying. Go about my day. So the mm-hmm. severity and the impact it has on their life is not the same as what it has on yours. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like, they can't, they can't understand that. And, and that is, I think really common for people that are saying things like, oh, I just want to be so clean. I'm so OCD. Like, it's mm-hmm. so different. Yeah. If you have, <laughs> yeah. if you have that cleanliness um, or contamination or, you know, orderliness with OCD, mm-hmm. it's not just like, oh, if my, like, if my desk is not set up a certain way, like, I'm just going to be like a little uncomfortable. I'm just going to be like, it doesn't look good, whatever. And I can move on and do something else. It's like, no, it has to be. this way, or I will not be able to concentrate on work and I will not be able to enjoy anything that's happening in this moment because I will be Mm -hmm. thinking about it. It's like the severity is so different. So you're downplaying that. Because you're describing yourself right now. Like you're very clean. I'm very clean. When you were visiting, like (laughs) I'm the one with OCD. Yeah, you were the one that was cleaning up after you had. (laughs) Moving stuff around. Like, yeah, like. I would look more like your stereotypical person with OCD, but I don't have it. So that just shows like you can be organized and type A and not have OCD. It's yeah. not a personality trait. Yeah. yeah. So this is an important distinction too. So what I talk about with clients a lot is preference versus fear. Mm-hmm. You can prefer for things to be a certain way. You're not afraid of what's going to happen if they're not. Right. And with OCD, you start getting into that fear, anxiety territory of if my desk is not how I want it, then day ruined. I'm not going to be able to make my appointments like you were saying you know, I might actually miss work because I'm stuck in my room trying to get my desk just right. And I can't stop myself from doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like the way you said that preference versus fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good distinction. Mm-hmm. And one thing we, that I kind of wanted to bring attention to, um, and we had kind of talked about it in our, in our pre-talk was how common, of course, everything is comorbid, I believe, with trauma, yeah. but OCD. I believe that too. Yeah. <laughs> We're all trauma therapists. So we all look at it from that standpoint. But, you know, how common people having trauma or PTSD diagnosis and also having OCD mm-hmm. and how that can make diagnosis hard because if you're looking at it, from just the trauma, you're like, oh my gosh, well, yeah, they're having intrusive thoughts and flashbacks and, mm-hmm. and all these things. They can't get past the trauma. What part of that is, is the PTSD? What part of that is the OCD? Yeah. And it can make treatment hard too. Absolutely. And yeah. so you were saying like, you see a lot of people with OCD that also have trauma. It's more yeah. than, you know, I'd say it's more than half. Yeah. You know, it's super common you know, and for some people, we can start treating OCD. And the trauma can also be addressed in learning to better manage that emotional reactivity, those distressing emotions that come up from the intrusive thoughts, you know, and for some people like the trauma is so severe, we we got to do trauma work first, and then kind of tackle OCD as it butts its head in, you know, and it varies person by person. I mean, we're looking at person-centered care here, mm-hmm. collaborative therapy techniques, like you got to meet the person where they're at and kind of see like which, which diagnosis is more disruptive right now and how can we approach it in a way that's respectful to both. 
Um, That's um, sort of along with, I've got, you know, I was like listening to you guys talk and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all these questions and thoughts. It's so interesting. Um, So, you know, sort of along with that, one of the things that we've talked about before on this podcast is how certain populations, particularly certain genders are more likely to be diagnosed with something than another gender. Do you see that um, with OCD? Or, or is it pretty or, even? Yeah, or, or, if it, or And if it's like, what causes that? Like, is it socialization? Is it like, you know, because women and men or, you know, black people or white people or whatever are expected to act a certain way. And so it goes unnoticed, like stuff like that. Yeah. So OC is one of those things that it's pretty evenly dispersed in populations, um, you know, in, in my career, I've definitely seen probably equal numbers of men and women. You kind of see different manifestations of OCD. So, you know, I tend to see more men with harm thoughts. I tend to see actually more women with POCD, you know, and I think that's related to that child rearing domain. Like women are expected to be caregivers to children. Um, you know, women are supposed to have that maternal caring instinct. Women would never hurt children, that kind of like social narrative. I think that puts a lot of pressure on women and we see a lot of POCD with women. Um, mm-hmm. With men, I tend to see a lot of the harm of others um, and a little bit of the harm of self. So suicide OCD is a thing where people have intrusive thoughts about killing themselves. Um, that's definitely a really scary one. Um, but I do see that more with men. That's interesting. Yeah, and and looking at people of color this is kind of where you get into like the social justice aspect of mental health care and then the distrust of medical communities, typically in in populations of color, because care hasn't always been given with consideration to their needs or their communities or their, you know, social experiences. And so I don't see a lot of people of color, you know, I, I love when I get like that variety of, of population coming in for care because it's there, it needs to be addressed. But, you know, there is some of that distrust in the, in the mental health community. And so you don't always see people seeking care when they need it because there's the fear of they're not gonna understand, you know, as a, a white clinician or a white presenting clinician, um, you know, of what it's like to grow up as a person of color, especially in the United States, you know? And so having that, that education and how do you work with diverse populations? How do you work with somebody who's a person of color or a disabled person who also has OCD and maybe the manifestation looks a little bit differently because we have these different social experiences. You know, OCD is also like a disorder that attacks your values is what I kind of say. It attacks Mm -hmm. the things that are really important to you like your sense of safety, your sense of comfort, your sense that you wouldn't harm another person or that you trust other people not to harm you. And so if you have anxiety around medical help, then of course OCD is going to latch onto that and maybe drive you away from seeking care as opposed to pursuing it. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't thought about that before, like that the OCD could be the, like the OCD itself could be the reason that you don't seek care. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And, um, oh, sorry. sorry. Another piece would be like, like people of color are often in low-income communities and Mm -hmm. therefore don't have the access to care. Yeah. Or they don't have access to comprehensive care. You know, that's something that I've run into, you know, with, with people I've worked with before, you know, I had somebody who came in misdiagnosed as schizophrenic. I had that happen with a client too. And then later I was like, no, you have OCD. You don't have schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah, and this was kind of like color. They were being accused of being hysterical and, you know, combative, and like it was just horrible. They were so mistreated, you know. And they had started out in a community care organization that was just like, "Yeah, you're schizophrenic. Here's this high dose of antipsychotic medication." You know, there you go. Like, and then, you know, you get people who are are trained clinicians that do this work and you, we get those horror stories. They come in and you're like, 
oh my gosh, I'm so proud that you're even here and trusting us to help you because you, you've been harmed. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I was, I guess you kind of answered that, but you know, because of the way our, um, our society and the biases and how we hold everyone to this, you know, white supremacy sort of standard, um, whether we want to or not. And, So the way we would interpret maybe someone's thoughts or compulsions, they were a person of color as Mm -hmm. being more aggressive or more likely that they would harm someone than, than a white person with the same symptoms manifestation. Yeah. And like, of course you wouldn't want to talk about it then. Like (laughs) you don't want to be accused of, or be, uh, you know, assumed to do something to be a harm to someone when you're not. And simply because and you look at like victimization by the system of like, well, if I'm being perceived as aggressive or combative, am I going to be arrested? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's definitely that underlying fear of if this magnifies, if I put myself at the mercy of the system, I might not survive it. Right. Right. Yeah. And also it's a specialized sort of care. And I guess it might depend on what state you're in, but here in Kentucky, (laughs) um, OCD treatment is not something that you could just get typically at your local community mental health clinic. No, it is very specialized because there's a lot of training involved and typically though, I, I don't think this is for you, Amanda. I'm pretty sure because we also see see clients from the same organization. But um, you know, a lot of people that specialize in those things, they don't take insurance or yeah. they only, you know, it's private pay. And yeah, like, I pay hundred forty five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I started out in a, a private pay clinic. That's where I did my training. You know, it was a learning clinic. We had mm-hmm. students. Um, master's and PhD level students coming in to train, you know, but the trajectory was with a lot of people going into private pay clinics, Mm -hmm. you know, that was, you know, one reason why I I ended up, you know, moving to a new clinic. I wanted more clinical experience. I wanted to work with a different population, but I also liked the idea of being able to take insurance and make my particular skill set more accessible, you know, and that's been really fulfilling for me since I've, I've changed you know, job locations, because I get to offer that service at a more affordable rate for more people, you know, and people who otherwise would not have had that care. You know, I'm one of, I don't know, like precisely, I've been told this by other like referring organizations that I'm one of the only people in the state who takes insurance and does ERP. Wow. (laughs) In the state? In the state. Wow, that is crazy. You must have, do you have a long wait list for you? I do. Actually. <laughs> I'm like out to December right now. Wow. And I, oh my I God. a lot, you know. I and can't I, believe that. Sorry. <laughs> you're fine. And like, this is my own, like, I got to work on my boundaries. Because yeah. I feel so bad for people. I'm like, right. okay, let me take you on. I'm overworked and I'm burning out, but you need this. And but I'm the care. only person, so I can't yeah. say no. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's so hard to say no. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like unloading some of my own baggage here. But like, <laughs> when you're in that position and you know what it looks like and you see how much people struggle, it's so hard to say, well, you got to wait. Oh, I have room for you. Terrible. You know, and I know there are clinicians in the community who who treat OCD, but they're not doing ERP. Mm-hmm. And that can sometimes be a dangerous combination because sometimes other modalities of treatment can make OCD worse because you're not addressing like the reassurance seeking compulsions or the avoidance compulsions, or you might be giving reassurance thinking you're validating your client, but really you're reassuring their OCD and making it worse. And that's the big thing that I see when I get clients referred to me from other clinicians, it's like, well, we thought we were helping, but actually it was just kind of mm-hmm. adding more fuel to the fire. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause we were talking in our pre-talk, like, I think I'm, you know, I'm like unofficially diagnosed a few, cause you know, I'm, I'm, I guess, you know, I'm not, even though I have 
OCD and I've learned a lot about it since. Um, I still, you know, don't, I'm not like trained enough to like officially diagnose someone, but like I'll, um, see a lot of OCD traits and like, I'll suggest like I'm seeing OCD traits, you, you know, we need to get assessed by someone that's trained to get an official diagnosis. But like, if it is OCD, I'm not trained in this and they're like, but I, you know, I'm already here and I've gotten some, you know, I've gotten something out of this and, um, yeah, I'm already comfortable with a relationship with you. So I want to stay with you. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, (laughs) you know, I told you, you know, I, at least I, offered it but then I do start to get concerned like and mm-hmm. I try to be careful of that because it it is a very different treatment it is and it can be really hard to catch yourself like just like going back to when I was like I'm not going to reassure you you know it can be hard yeah. to catch stuff like that if you're not trained to catch stuff like that yeah you know it's a very nuanced treatment it's very like I'm in tune to the person I'm talking to. I'm watching their behaviors. I'm watching, watching, oh my goodness, watching their expressions. <laughs> you know, I've learned kind of like the, the cues of, of what is reassurance seeking or what, what is an avoidance, um, you know? And so, yeah, if you're not trained to do that, then it's absolutely so easy, so easy to miss like, okay, this person's seeking reassurance right now. And if I give that to them, I might be making things worse. Or if I consistently do this, I might be making things worse. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's, yeah, that's so different than most treatments that you would yeah. do. So that's kind of a weird switch in your brain to. Oh yeah, don't reassure. So don't reassure. Learning, <laughs> learning to do OCD treatment and learning ERP. Um, you know, because I was going against everything I'd been trained to do to like reassure your client and help them feel safe and validated mm-hmm. and comfortable, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, it, it's definitely unlearning a lot of the traditional therapist training that I had, but I also am able to utilize that traditional training in a way that I guess mingles well with doing ERP. And so, I don't know, I figured out a way to make it work. And so I'm using an acronym here that hopefully, I don't know if you guys know, but so ERP is considered the gold standard in treating OCD. So it's exposure response, ritual prevention therapy. And so that, I mean, it's exactly kind of what it sounds like. Exposure is intentionally exposing people to potential triggers. And then the ritual prevention is like, okay, let's identify what your compulsions are and then work on suppressing those behaviors or challenging those thoughts so that we're not feeding the OCD cycle and keeping that engine running. And it can be awful. (laughs) They really can. You know, when I was being trained, one of the things that my, the person who trained me would say is like, you know, the only difference between exposure and torture is that the person eventually gets a sense of relief. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, and that was critical in the training that we wow. did. Is like, how do you recognize when this isn't helping and know when to stop so you're not actively hurting your client? Right. You, know? you don't want to traumatize scary. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to be so careful that we're not re-traumatizing. And if we catch ourselves like on the verge of doing that, how do we walk it back? How do we address the misstep and rebuild that connection and that rapport so that they're willing to come back and continue the treatment? So know, my therapist... People- some people will and some people they're like I can't do this yeah I think probably to prevent that um my therapist uses a lot of scaling questions like she'll be like what is your distress level here and if I say 10 she'll be like okay let's like scale Mm -hmm. back and do like a dip like a let like still expose you but only expose you at like a three or four or you know so yeah Yeah. And that's built into the ERP protocol. Um, You know, we call it uh, subjective units of distress. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if your therapist did it with you, but like, we'll, we'll collaborate and like create like a a scale that we use to reference. So, you know, a zero, zero distress. That's like your sunny day on the beach with your bestie, having a good time, no worries in the world, you know, and a 10 is like, I'm dying. I'm in the plane. It's going down. The sharks are circling. We're gone you know, and then like the in-between is that literally can be what it feels like. Sorry to cut you off. (laughs) No, but it's true. It it does feel like that for people, 
you know, like I'm dying is not a lot of people. uh, That's another like phrase that people just kind of throw around like, Oh God, it's so like hot in here. I think I'm dying or like starving. I'm like going to die of starvation, but like literally people with OCD can feel like, can genuinely think they can, they might die. Yeah. This is so overwhelming. So distressing. I may die of this. Mm-hmm. you know and, and that's another thing like people without OCD don't get it like they think you're being dramatic or they think you're just exaggerating but it's like no you know it might not feel like that for you but this is so distressing to me it, this is genuinely what I'm experiencing yeah being dramatic that's I hate I hate something that. I've gotten so much <laughs> in my life like, like anytime I hear somebody say well you're just being dramatic like oh my you're gosh like annoying like you're being annoying or like you're trying to control everything or like mm-hmm. you're so particular and yeah you know there's a lot of invalidation that happens with OCD because people don't understand yeah right and we again, I keep referencing other episodes, but, um, we had kind of talked about that too, of like these symptoms and these, you know, key parts of what a disorder is because people don't understand mental health disorders for what they actually are. They think they're what, you know, what people say they are this feel good. You pop psychologist on TikTok say they are, um, Oh, TikTok, but <laughs> that, that's an episode. Oh, that is an episode <laughs> that I want to do. On our list. <laughs> yeah. It's on our list. Of you topics. should come back for that one. I mean, <laughs> please let me. I have a lot of things to say. Yeah, totally. Totally. We will. But like, you know, they think that these symptoms are uh, personality traits. Again, I'm going to keep saying that, but because you're separate from your mental illness. So yeah. you're not your personality is not controlling or dramatic, you know, your symptoms are appearing that way to other people, but they're not able to distinguish that. Oh, these are the symptoms. This is not this person. And that gets attributed a lot, especially with personality disorders, (laughs) which is a little, you know, the name doesn't help, but it doesn't like bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. A lot of times it's like, well, that person's just mm-hmm. temperamental and, and they that, just don't like other people or something like no. we get a lot of misdiagnoses of narcissism too with OCD. Oh, really? There can be this really controlling nature of like, I have to have everything a certain way because it's alleviating my anxiety. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you get this mischaracterization, like, oh, this is a narcissist. They think so highly of themselves and it has to be just their way, yada, yada, yada. And really it's really severe OCD and the people in their lives have gotten accustomed to accommodating it. And so there's can be some resentment that grows from that as well of these accusations that you're selfish or you're a bad person. Because Are you in my brain right now? <laughs> yeah, I live there. Rent free. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's something we get a lot too, you know, where people get, um, what is the personality disorder test? I don't remember what it's called, but you know, they'll get that somewhere and they'll come in and like, well, I'm a narcissist and I have narcissistic personality disorder and I don't want to be this way. And it's like, well, there's the first sign you're not a narcissist. Yeah. You don't like it. Because you realize there's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) So something that, again, me, um, something that I do is, and and I don't know if this is OCD. I just thought of it now since we're talking about narcissism. I'll like be like, I'm so awesome. Like I'll like be like, say, like if I have some, if I like do something really great like really cool or like I have some sort of accomplishment I'll be like oh my god I'm amazing and I'll like say it out loud but it's Mm -hmm. sort of like kind of a joke but not really but then I'll also like it's like a joke like I know I'm being like I know how I'm coming off but like I don't know but then I also have like the opposite end of the spectrum like oh my god I'm terrible like what if I you know, as a therapist, like, what if I'm like not helping this person? What if I, I don't know. So I don't know if that, if you can, like, is that like what you mean by like narcissist or is that just, is that just me? <laughs> um, so for me, that sounds like reassurance seeking. 
uh-huh. like a overt behavior of reassurance seeking. Let me say this out loud, let people hear and like get that validation and approval. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm tearing you down right now. If I am, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so it, it can kind of be masking fear by saying like, yeah, I, I'm really great. I'm so awesome. Like the ground I walk on is like, it turns to gold. But really, there is that underlying fear of what if I'm not enough? Yeah. I got to say it out loud in order to feel like it or to start to believe it. And so that's kind of what I see in that regard. Yeah. Um, People are like, Emily, you're so confident. And then I'll say something that's really doubting, really doubtful of myself. And I'm going to be like, wait, I thought you thought you were awesome. And I'll be like, like, sometimes I think it's like very... It's very strange. Like sometimes I do think I'm awesome and sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I think that might just be confidence. Like when you do something cool. (laughs) But also like imposter syndrome, like which we all get. Like sometimes, sometimes I am the best therapist in the world. Like I can take on anyone's (laughs) problems. I'm so, you did such a good job today, Stephanie. And then sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? Why did they give me my master's? Why do they let me do this? (laughs) Who is trusting me? It's like when a client comes to you with something Um, and you're like, yeah, that's really fucked up. You should see someone about that. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm not someone. I'm the person you're seeing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have to do something. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man, I get that too. It's so bad. You know, but in terms of like the narcissist stuff, it really is more of like, the hyper controlling and having to have it be a certain way. That's kind of the thing that gets it misdiagnosed the most is like having absolute control of your environment or the people around you. Yeah. And that's for kind of when you're getting into that more severe range of OCD, you start to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And this shows that you, we want, people want to play armchair psychologist and, diagnose people in their lives, but they don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. um, under, you know, underneath or, or what that behavior could be for. And so yeah. just to be more understanding, giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, sometimes mm-hmm. and not jumping to conclusions that they're trying necessarily to do anything. There mm-hmm. are people out there, of course, that are trying yeah. to manipulate and hurt you, but, not everyone is a narcissist, you know? And so give them the benefit of the doubt. There could be something else going on. Like we just Mm -hmm. need to be more aware and uh, more understanding in that. Even if we don't understand, even if we don't get it, Mm -hmm. like, how could that happen? How, how could you, how could that be a thing? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it doesn't have to make sense to you, but it's a thing and it's happening for them. And you need to yeah. accept it. Yeah. You know, I don't understand astrophysics, <laughs> but I realize it's a thing. You don't. I, 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 I'm <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> well, it's like the one thing I never really got on board with. The one thing. I got so many things that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if you're uncertain, you know, just encourage somebody to see somebody. You know, like, hey, that seems like it might be an issue. Huh? Have you talked to anybody about that? Yeah. You know, instead of making the assumption, instead of, you know, assigning what you think is going on, just encourage somebody to get help. Be proactive and, you know, yeah. get some help. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who's not involved in your life. Mm-hmm. Get some outside perspective. You know, I think if we were nicer about things like that as a society, maybe more people would get the help they need when they need it instead of waiting until it does become mm-hmm. catastrophic. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, of course I'm going to be biased. Our podcast is really important, but also episodes like this are important and it is important for people to talk about mm-hmm. these things. Not only this podcast had the best of both worlds because we had Amanda who works with OCD, who understands it, who is, you know, kind of an OCD expert, pretty much maybe the only one in Kentucky for what we know. And <laughs> there are definitely some people who are way better than me, but I take insurance. Right. <laughs> and, you know, giving us um, this insight and this understanding and explaining things to people so that they can know more and, and understand better and 
be, be better supports for the people in their life or understand themselves better. But then we have Emily who was brave enough and nice enough and to be so vulnerable and honest about something that's new for her and, and a sensitive topic, of course, at times, like, but she volunteered, you know, when we talked about doing this episode, I was like, I'm going to leave it up to you. Cause obviously this is going to affect you more than it's going to affect me. And if you're okay with that, then I, you know, this would be awesome. She's like, yeah, no, I'm, we need to do it. Cause it's important. And she totally volunteered to open up and to say these things and to talk about these things. And I feel like if you're out there listening and you relate to anything that she's saying, one thing to know is, you know, she's a mental health professional and she has issues. We all have issues and we're all working on stuff and she's able to talk about it and be honest about it. You can talk to someone and be honest about it. You can go and get help. Um, you can work on this. It doesn't have to, to, to be a, a taboo thing. It doesn't have to be a secret. There, there is hope. There is a way to get, to get better and to live with it. And that's for any mental health issue. When you listen to this podcast and you're like, wow, I really relate to that. I really see what's going on. Like part of what we want to do is help people understand what is going on, why it's happening, and then what you can do about it and how you can get help so that you're not afraid to, to seek out professional help. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one quick plug I want to make, especially if anybody listening might be having taboo thoughts in their OCD, the IOCDF.org. It's internationalocdfoundation.org. They have a tool on their website that helps you find providers in your location. There's, um, oh, that's awesome. There's also, um, a couple of like three things I want to, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, um, I before, so, um, I, I wanted someone that like really specialized in my type of OCD. So I didn't end up using this, but, um, I don't know if you heard of it. It's called no CD. Yeah. And- it's an app. Yeah, as a NOCD, um, and they take insurance, and they can. Um, it's like a much more formalized mm-hmm. type of treatment, like, but it's kind of like they teach you ERP. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another resource. Um, also, thank you for saying that stuff about me, Stephanie. Um, <laughs> this, I mean, I would be lying if I say I didn't have like emotional reactions to this episode. Um, but I, you know, felt like it was important. Um, and it's something that I really wish people understood more. Um, also before we wrap up, I just wanted to make sure, like, were there any other topics that you were hoping we would cover Amanda that you want to, um, talk about? If not, it's cool. I just wanted to, um, just one more thing. And this is definitely a soapbox. It's a hill I'm willing to die on is you gotta be careful about self-help self-help books, self-help apps, because again, it's such a nuanced treatment. I don't want to see somebody torturing themselves thinking they're doing exposure, but they're really not addressing the compulsive part of it. That's something that I have seen a lot is people will come in after getting like a self-help book or, you know, using an app, like no CD is actually a really good one. I like them a lot. We used to recommend them at the OCD clinic. Um, But you know, you just, if you're not addressing the compulsions, you're only addressing the thoughts through exposure, you're going to end up hurting yourself emotionally because you don't have necessarily the coping tools or coping strategies to do the ritual prevention part of it or the compulsion prevention part of it. So that's just one more thing I want to throw out there, you know, help self-help can be helpful in figuring out this might be what's going on and getting you to a professional but especially starting out, if you've never had any kind of OCD treatment before, talk to a professional before you try to tackle it on your own, because it is such a, a chronic disorder that can be so pervasive in your life and can affect so many things. That's a really good yes, point very to good say. Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And of course, like we always say, 
we are mental health professionals, but this is not professional <laughs> advice. So yeah. don't take what you've learned here about ERP and, and try to use it on yourself or anyone yeah. else. Yeah. Please try to find a, a professional in your location, find mm-hmm. a professional, you know, and, and get the help you need. There's no shame yeah. in it. Yeah. I think is, you know, one more time, I think, um, no CD is a really, really great option. Um, because they, I mean, they are like, it's an app, but they're licensed professionals and they're trained in ERP and, Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's all, um, virtual Mm -hmm. and it's accessible really to, you know, anyone that has insurance. So, um, and we can put those resources, the no CD and the IOCD.org, um, on the podcast.org, IOCD. F. F. Inter- oh, international okay. OCD foundation is that what yep. international okay. OCD foundation so it's I international o- not yeah. just national yeah it's worldwide cool. <laughs> yes so. so we will put those on the Instagram as um page as well um oh. under resources so Absolutely. if anyone awesome. don't have to write it down you can just go to our Instagram all right so <laughs> all right all right well let's wrap up that's our show if you enjoyed this episode please follow us on wherever you get your podcasts and if you use apple podcasts we'd appreciate a rating and review and don't forget to follow the show's instagram for updates on new episodes at just mental health podcasts that's with a period between each word this is steph and m and amanda signing off thanks for listening bye bye